Oh dear. Uh, thanks again to Ali and everyone who's led us in worship. Let's just come and pray. Father, we thank you that you do give us all that we need in this life to live for your glory. Father, we thank you that you are for us in Jesus Christ, that you are for each one of us. You want each one of us to know you. You want each one of us to experience your love. Father, help us to draw near to you by faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just introduce what I'm going to say now with a, a story. I'm not claiming any originality. It's the story of a mountain climber who was climbing up this huge mountain, slipped from his mooring, moorings and was about to plunge thousands of feet to his death. In panic on his way down, he grabbed at a scrawny bush that was growing out of a rock on the side of the mountain, and it momentarily broke his fall, but it was slowly coming out of its place by the roots. The climber looked up to heaven and cried out, Is there anybody up there who can help me? A deep bass, bass voice was heard from the sky, Yes, I will help you. Trust me. Let go of the bush. The climber looked down into the cavern below and cried out once more, Is there anybody else up there who can help me? Now, does that illustration have anything to say to us? I think it probably does. For I think that all of us at some time in our life feel a little bit like that climber. That is that in the face of all the, the challenges and all the, the hardships that life in this world can sometimes bring our way, we wonder, can God really hold me? Can God really keep me? And those times when I let Him down, will He want to hold me? Will He want to keep me? And also, what about when we feel God has abandoned us. Yes, when life's circumstances, when our physical, emotional, mental state leads us into what's called the long, dark night of the soul, when God seems so very far away, can we trust that God hasn't and that God will not turn His back on us? Well, this is what Paul deals with here in these concluding verses of Romans chapter 8. And basically what he's saying is in the light of this, what he's covered from Romans 8, 28 on, of the fact that God is at work in all the situations that we face in this life, not necessarily to make these situations good in themselves, not necessarily to make the here and now circumstances of our life good, but that God will bring good into our lives, from our lives, from these circumstances, that by His sovereign power, He is able to bring out of these things the greatest good of all, making us more and more like Jesus as our hearts are open to Him, preparing better, preparing us better for that time to, when we go to be with Jesus in the midst of whatever this life brings our way. And then in Romans 8, 20, uh, 29 and 30, the verses following, Paul there went on to state, 
that our salvation rests ultimately in God's choice, in God's call. That it's God who brings us to life spiritually and who enables us to respond in faith to the gospel. That our salvation then, from beginning to end, is totally and utterly all of grace, all of God. That it's all about the mercy, the undeserved love, the grace of our God that we could never, ever earn merit or deserve. So in the the light of this then, what should our response be to the challenges of life and the impact that these have on our life? What Paul tells us here in these wonderful, famous verses, what he's telling us is that we can trust God, that we can trust today in the God who called us, who chose us. Our salvation is rooted in Him, and we can trust in His power and in His love. This is a a Christian teaching that commonly goes by the name of the perseverance of the saints, but one writer I read uh, a little while ago suggested that a better title would be the preservation of the saints by God. Now, I like that. I do think that's better. And I think it's better because it puts the focus where it should be. It puts it on God rather than on us, on the God who keeps us, who preserves us, rather than on our persevering faith. Now, what we're going to look at just in a moment or two is, is how Paul opens up to us, how he expresses to us this glorious truth that no matter what life brings our way, that we are held safe in the hands of God. But before we we go on to that, let me just make it clear at this point what I am and what I'm not saying here. What I am and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everyone who makes at some point a Christian profession always makes it through gloriously to the end. No, I'm not saying that. Because there are those who make an emotional response to God, but who've never really bowed the knee to Him, have never surrendered their life to Him as Lord, their will and all that they are. And there are others who make an intellectual response to Christ and His gospel. Those who know, even maybe believe the truths of the faith, they believe it in their minds, but they've never again really surrendered their life to Him given themselves wholly to Him. So we've got that, but you know, I firmly believe that everyone who makes a true, full commitment to Christ, a commitment where there's real understanding, clear understanding of who Jesus is, that He's God in human flesh, what He has done given His perfect, sinless life as the payment for our sin and our imperfection, what He means the nature of salvation, totally a work of God's grace, no hint of human merit, human works. I truly believe that if we surrender our life to this Jesus, to this gospel, if we give ourselves to Jesus as Savior and as Lord in response to the gospel, with this then leading to a holy, a transformed life, a changed life, I truly believe that God will preserve us. He will keep us 
for all eternity. Now, that's not to say that such Christians cannot backslide. That's not to say that Christians cannot be guilty of gross and at times scandalous sins. For sometimes, sometimes they are. Of course they are. And of course, it's, it's very difficult. It's beyond our ability to tell the difference between a genuine Christian who's backslidden and someone who's made a false, half-hearted, spurious confession. Very difficult. For only God, only God and the person themselves know what's really going on in their heart. Only they know. Peter, though, does tell us in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11, he tells us that we can make our election, that we can make our salvation sure, that we can, if we have that clear understanding of Jesus and what He's done for us, and if we have a deep love in our heart for Jesus, and if our faith then leads on to a transformation in our life, in our lifestyle, in the way we live, not perfection, but change. Now, we might have fallen from it to some degree, but if we can look back in our lives and we can say, yes, my faith in Christ changed my life. He changed my values. He changed my standards. He changed my priorities. He gave me a new desire to serve Him and others, to give of myself. If we can look at our lives and see these things, then we can be sure of our salvation. And I believe we can be sure that God will preserve us, that He will keep us for all eternity. That's my view, and I believe it's biblical. But I think it's only fair to say that it's not a view that's actually shared by everyone. For example, uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes that, that saving grace is killed by a mortal sin. At the Council of Trent, it was stated that if anyone says that a man once justified cannot lose grace, and therefore that he who falls in sins never was truly justified, if anyone says that, let him be accursed. But you know, there are also evangelical Christians who also believe that it's possible for someone truly saved to be lost, someone truly saved to fall away from grace. This is a teaching that's been around since the early days of, of Protestantism. Its first champion was the theologian Jacobus Arminius. And so people who follow this line since his time have generally been called Arminians. But you see, the key difference here is, is one of emphasis. Emphasis. For the Arminians, the emphasis lies in the will of man. It's in our will. If we don't choose to continue to cooperate with grace, if we don't choose to continue in faith, we can be lost. For myself and, and those who would stand with me, well, the emphasis lies in God. The emphasis lies in His choice. It lies in His power. It lies in the fact that once He has chosen us, He has the power to keep us and that nothing can take us from the grasp of a sovereign God. Now, I've got to say that for me, there's no contest in this regard. Faced with a choice of emphasizing 
either man's will or God's power and grace, there is no contest. And I believe there should be that we should always choose God. Now, of course, people who've got a different view would bring Scriptures to support their position. Now, I've got to say that from my perspective, I believe that some of these are put in the Bible really as a safeguard against complacency. They're there to keep us on our toes, to ensure that we never fall into an I'm saved so I don't have to bother, I'll just need to lie back and wait for heaven kind of mentality. And certainly, I, I believe also that properly understood that these Scriptures can be reconciled with the view that I hold. I believe it, others don't, but hey, we'll get on anyway. But back to Paul. Back to Paul. Let's look at how he tells us here in these verses that we can trust the God who chose us, who loves us. That we can trust in His power, we can trust in His love, no matter what this life might bring our way. And he puts this in the form of five questions. And question one is, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, now think about that. He could have put this question very differently. He could have asked, who is against us? And what an array of answers he would have been presented with, most of which he actually touches on in the course of these verses here. The hardships and trials and tribulations of this world, are they not against us? The opposition of an unbelieving world, is this not against us? Death, which though defeated is still not destroyed, is this not against us? With behind all of this, pulling the strings of this, the evil one himself, is he not against us? But you see, this is not the question Paul asks. Rather, his question is, if God be for us, who can be against us? And what he's saying is that, that these things that we're talking about can hurt us. The opposition we face, the hardship we at times endure, our own faults and failings, the things that sadden us and hurt us and pull us down, these can be against us. But when we bring God into the picture, when we take time and remember that our lives are held in the hands of a God of sovereign power and of infinite love, then we realize that these things can and will never prevail against us. That they might even destroy our bodies, but that they can never destroy the essential us, who we are in heart and spirit for our future, our destiny, our eternity is held safe in God's hands. Question 2, Paul's next question is verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him generously, graciously give us all things? Now again, Paul could have put this, this question differently. He could simply have asked, will God give us all things, all that we need? And starting then from a this world materialistic viewpoints, we may have a few doubts that God will give us all we need. Because first of all, our view of what we need in life can be pretty extravagant. 
And we then can perhaps imagine we've maybe been in situations in our lives where our material, physical, emotional need has been great, very demanding. And we felt a crisis point, but we haven't felt that that need has been met, at least not when we wanted it to be, and not in the way we wanted, not to the extent we wanted it to be. But you see, Paul doesn't put his question that way. Rather, Paul starts from the cross. He's given us him. What he's saying is, is that the Father who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, the Father who has called us, the Father who has chosen us, the Father who has promised to be with us in this life and to take us ultimately to be with him in heaven. This God can be trusted. Whatever we go through in this life, he can be trusted. Because no matter what we go through, nothing can prize us from his hands. The quote I once read by a Ugandan Christian who had to write this down because he couldn't speak because he'd suffered so terribly during the regime of Idi Amin. But he wrote this and passed it to the late, great David Watson. Wonderful words and so true. This is what he wrote. This disfigured man. God doesn't promise an easy journey. What he promises is a safe arrival. Paul's third question we find in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen, whom God justified? Now, and this is a question that could have been put in a very different way. We see here in our, our imagination, we're taken into a court of law, and as Christians, we're put into the dock. So who will accuse us? Well, we know that there are many who are ready to accuse the Christians. Our own consciences accuse us because we know that we are not all that we should be. We know that that likeness of Christ is far from perfected in us, that so often we let God down. And then there are many voices in the, the world around who, who are ready to speak up and to underline those shortcomings that we're so aware of ourselves. And behind it all, again, pulling the strings, stands the evil one. The one who in Revelation 12 verse 10 is called the accuser of the brothers, that is, of the people of God. The devil who's always at work then, around us, within us, trying to pull the people of God down, trying to bring doubts into our mind about our faith and about our standing with God. What can we say? How can we respond to these charges? Paul tells us, all we have to do is look to the cross. All we have to do is point to that cross because our salvation and our eternal destiny does not depend ultimately on who we are, on how good we are, or on what we have done. No, our salvation, our destiny, depends on who God is and on what He has done. And He is justified. 
He has paid the price for our sin. He has removed our unrighteousness, and He's given to us as a gift the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ in which we stand. And He has chosen us, and He will never, ever let us go. That is His promise. Despite all our weakness, despite all our feelings, despite the many times we let Him down, He will never let us go. Why? Because there is nothing that we can do, nothing that anybody else can do, that can overturn what God Himself has done for us in Christ, what has been signed, sealed, and delivered to us in Jesus Christ. Question four just really builds on this and and fills this this out in in a, a wonderful way. There is verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see, what this does is this underlines the completeness of Christ's work on the cross and the continuing power of God and His work that goes on endlessly on our behalf that we might enjoy the full benefits, that we might enjoy all that He has won for us. You see, what Paul says is, Christ was raised from the dead by the Father. And He, because of what He has done, is seated at the Father's right hand. And these are symbols of the Father's acceptance of Christ's sacrifice, of the fact that Christ now has that supreme place of honor and power and authority. And what does He do? He uses that place to intercede for us, for me, for you, to pray for us in order to ensure that the work that He's begun in us will be brought to completion. So when we then are at our lowest, when we're maybe being condemned by those around us, when we feel condemned in our hearts, and when there's maybe even good reason for this, then Paul says, look not just to the cross, but also look to the heavens. Because Jesus Christ is there when you are at your lowest, interceding for you. And if you have a true faith in Him, if you have a real love for Him in your heart, and if He's done a transforming work in your life, then though you may not now be all you should be, still believe, still trust, that no matter what's going on in your life, that He will carry you through. He will never let you down. He will never let you go. Finally, in the fifth question from verse 35 on, Paul really rounds it all up, rounds us all up, and brings it all together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here his list is long and all-embracing. It covers all the pressures and distress 
involved in living in a hostile, ungodly world. Trouble, hardship, and persecution. Famine, nakedness, danger, sword, the threat of one, life-threatening danger, and even death itself martyrdom. And remember, Paul writes of these things, not theoretically, but out of his own life experience. For he'd experienced most of these things at the extreme, and martyrdom was to come for him just down the road. So can these things separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's answer is an emphatic no. No. Rather, in all these things, and he goes on to to list emphatically everything in, in heaven and earth and in space and in time, in all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now, the way that this reference to Christ's love here is expressed is expressed in such a way that it tells us that Paul here is looking back, back to an act, back to an expression of love that has an ongoing, continuing, never-ending impact in our lives. That is the cross. He's looking to the cross. And what he seems to be saying then is that because of Christ and the cross, and because of the fact that we know that we are chosen and held by God, so then we are not only able to endure suffering, we are also able, by God's grace, to demonstrate His victory in our suffering, that in a glorious, mysterious way, as we share with Him in suffering, we are drawn closer to Him. We experience His love in an even deeper way. For you see, Christ, the cross, the power and love demonstrated in the cross, there is nothing in this world There is nothing beyond this world. There are no powers in this earth or in the spiritual realms. There is nothing that can overcome or overturn what God has done, the love that is expressed there. The circumstances of our life might be hard to bear. And we know this world can be cruel and harsh, but nothing. No one, no experience can take away from us that which is most precious of all, what God has done in our hearts and for all eternity in Christ. You see, they can destroy our property. They can destroy even our bodies. But nothing can touch or take away the work that God has done in us. Let me finished by sharing with you an account of two young Chinese girls who had the spiritual perception to grasp this truth and to live it out in a way that few of us would ever be able to. It's taken from the voice of the martyrs, 1977, and this is what it says. I write of pure love in red China. A pastor and two Christian girls were sentenced to death. As on many other occasions in church history, The persecutors mocked them, and they promised to release the pastor if he would shoot the girls. He accepted. The girls waited in the prison yard for the announced execution. A fellow prisoner who watched the scene from his cell 
described their faces as pale but beautiful beyond belief, infinitely sad but sweet. Humanly speaking, they were fearful, but they decided to submit to death without renouncing their faith. Then, flanked by guards, their executioner came with a revolver in his hand. It was their own pastor. The girls whispered to each other, then respectfully bowed before the pastor. And one of them said, Before being shot by you, we wish to thank you heartily for all that you have meant to us. You baptized us. You taught us the way of eternal life. You gave us holy communion with the same hand in which you now have the gun. May God reward you for all the good you have done us. You also taught us that Christians are sometimes weak and commit terrible sins, but that they can be forgiven again. When you regret what you are about to do to us, do not despair like Judas, but repent like Peter. God bless you. And remember that our last thought was not one of indignation at your failure. Everyone passes through hours of darkness. We die with gratitude. They bowed again. They knew that it was the Lord who had provided that suffering could come from those where they would come from those where they would feel it most in the betrayal of their pastor. The pastor's heart was hardened. He shot the girls. Afterwards, he himself was shot by the communists. This happened in Kiangsi province. Two girls in who grasped what really matters, what's truly precious. Two girls who knew that no one and nothing could touch or take away from them what God had done for them in Christ. Two girls who by the grace and power of God were able to live out the fact that they were more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. May God give to each of us the same kind of spiritual insight, the same kind of spiritual openness and receptivity that in any situation that we face in our lives, we might be able to react and to show the same kind of miracle of grace working through and out in us. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for that truth that nothing can separate us from your love. There are many things in this world that will strike against us. There are many times when we'll be hurt and disappointed, but truly nothing can take away what you've done for us in the cross of Christ. Nothing can take away the greatness of your love. Nothing can diminish your sovereign power. Lord, if we are yours, we are safe in you for all eternity. And for that, we give you our thanks and praise. In Christ's name, amen.